0: oh no well well I think I, I want to so we were just talking about uh, last week's episode which because we're always continuing the conversation we actually have been on the entire week 168 hours later we're coming back um and we were talking about you know not overwhelming the players by saying oh by the way you want to be the science officer read this you know huge book but i do want to say that i what i will do to tantalize my players is that especially the new ones after they play a game I'll open up to a chapter of the book and be like, hey, you know, by the way, there's a little bit here. And they're all of a sudden interested about it. I'll let them borrow and take a book home, you know, and then they come back. And it's all, I say, use Post-it notes, whatever you want to make notes on it. So so I do want to say I don't overwhelm my new players by throwing the whole book, like read the core rule, book. never. I, I inch them into it until all of a sudden you find out that they're borrowing or buying their own books, which is, of course, what we love. To see. And this is Continuing Conversations. <laughs> I'm Michael Dismuke, um, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and also a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for RPG. Jim Johnson, why don't you go ahead and uh, get started, introduce everyone and our topic for the day.
1: Sure thing, Michael. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, hi, everybody. I am Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment and co-host on this here show with Michael. Lothi's many many moons now, and uh, I am super excited to be talking about the engineering role tonight, all about the chief engineer, engineer, whatever, whatever, I mean, whether you're the chief engineer or a engineer, whatever, you don't have to be the chief if you don't want to be, depending on what uh, what character or or what kind of campaign you're playing, but super excited to talk about it with this uh, cast of all stars here tonight, so I will uh, go around the screen as I usually do, have them uh, introduce themselves, and maybe uh, provide like a cool, interesting factoid about... Uh, an engineer, whether they played an engineer or know somebody who played an engineer or something like that. So I'll turn it over to uh, Al. How's it going? uh, Al Spader, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures.
2: Um, The engineering uh, role is pretty special to me. My father is a nuclear engineer, um, so I've got all sorts of stories from him on the submarine to running a power plant and things like that. So um, you get to see actually a lot of that on some of the sets, uh, especially on Enterprise. Um, it's really cool to see.
1: Sorry, I put myself on mute. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, Jeff, introduce yourself.
3: Well, my name is Jeff Harvey. I am a content creator and host of podcasts and things like that. Um, I think my favorite thing about engineering, so. My father was also a mechanic. I come from a whole line of mechanics. Um, my, my dad was an aircraft electrician and, and maintenance engineer. Um, and that was something that really, uh, I spent my whole life around the, the aerospace industry, essentially. And then my roommate who moved out about a year ago now is actually a NASA engineer. So I love engineering.
4: <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. And uh, Aaron? I'm Aaron Polier. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I do the Starship science technology. That, so you've seen, you've seen my stuff. Um, but engineering, boy, I, I guess I have a lot of it in my family. Uh, my family's always been into aircraft. So I've always been around building aircraft, aircraft engines, going all the way back to my, my grandfather, who was uh, a radio technician and aircraft technician in the Army Air Corps during World War II. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of little technical bits that I kind of grew up along alongside, including vacuum tubes and Nixie tubes, all those old, old school stuff. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's interesting. Boy, I tell you, uh, you know, add this to the, I guess, you know, Mark, Michael, I mean, not to bring the corporate world into this, but we need like a parking lot of, of <laughs> stuff because now, now I'm thinking we, we, we could at some point think about like, uh, Like a continuing conversations trivia game or something, Um, because uh, because my 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 father was uh, uh, an electrical engineer, Uh, he was in the navy and in the coast guard, and like he spent his entire life around you know circuits and and radars and uh, designing stuff like that, and it's just it's it's fascinating to hear that there's all kind of a common thread around so many of us with our with our backgrounds uh, of having engineers or engineering or something. I guess it gives you a sense of like how how prevalent it was in
0: the 40s and 50s, right? Clearly. Well, it goes even back further than that. If I may be a geek for a moment and take us back to the 16th century. So so in the 16th (laughs) century, the people who built castles were called, and there's some Latin word or something like ingenuicists or something. And from that term of ingenuity is where the term engineer came from. So engineering as a term goes, of course, we know engineering has been since the early part of human history, no matter what they called it, pyramid building. or fire stacking, I don't know. But but that term engineering does come from the sixth, 15th, 16th century about castle buildings. So it's quite mm-hmm. an interesting. Geek fact, I know. Nice.
1: And literally, <laughs> I'm listening to you, Michael, and I just lost the word. There's a word. Uh, it's not semantics. It's, uh, it's not morphology. It's the history of how words came to be. It's- um... etymology etymology, Thank you. thank you. I knew. Exactly. Would <laughs> uh, thank you, Michael for dropping that etymology on us. So tonight, so last week we talked about all about science and the weeks prior to that we talked about exos and captains and doctors. So now the next the, the next role in the in the queue for us to talk about is uh, is the engineer. So uh, in, in, in my history, I mentioned it last week, like science was always a very popular, very busy character on the on my shows that I've run in the past, engineer was easily tied for second place or tied for first place or whatever. And the science officer and the engineer were, were super tight, episode after episode, session after session. Um, I, I don't know what your collective experiences have been, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, but let's uh, let's just uh, um, let's riff on uh, all the coolness that could be had as a uh, engineer
0: wants to jump in
4: i i can
1: jump in right away
4: Science is theory engineering is putting it into practice like you can have your science officer come up with a crazy idea but it's going to be the engineer that builds the crazy device that does it most likely um and they're the ones that are probably going to tell you no it's going to take me three days and then do it in one
0: yeah my my thing is in continuing missions i had created a small series um called the Problem Series. Well, I call it Scotty's Tech Manual. And and what it was is I listed, just from my memory, believe me, there's way more problems that could happen, but all the engines, structural, sensor, computer, and communication problems that can go wrong. So I looked at all the systems, how Star Trek Adventures builds it out. And I was like, oh my goodness, the engineers should always have something to do because all you need to do is break something and they got something to take care of. So um, engineers on a ship, of course, are where i think you get a chance to to get your hands dirty and feel the ship their characters mm-hmm. are going to be the ones having their hands in the innards of the ship and they're most likely in some form or fashion metaphysically married to the ship so engineers can be a very passionate character in a different way
3: mm-hmm. yeah I think yeah, and interestingly the most way- like oh yeah go go ahead. Jeff. No, the go ahead, Jeff. most iconic characters from star trek are usually the engineer too you've got your captain is obviously when everyone talks about, but your number two is usually your engineer. It's who's your favorite engineer? Is it Geordi? Is it Scotty? Is it O'Brien? It's O'Brien. Um, the, uh, I think it's a very important role to have on the ship, and I think the, it's, I said the science officer is probably the easiest character to play. Um, I would say the engineer is probably the second easiest character to play as far as um, having things to do and and being able to be engaged. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: I think engineering in general is interesting because you can almost go like two paths, right? You can be your engineering officer who's in, you know, uh, you know managing the power flow and all of that type of stuff. Uh, and you can even uh, take your engineering degree and focus more on the operation sides of things, right? Um, and go, uh, you know, uh, looking at computers and, and the software and all that type of stuff. Um, so engineering as a whole, I think, is a very broad uh uh, category of things that you could do, but specifically, um, your chief engineer is typically someone who is going to be working around that warp core and making sure, you know, the plasma manifolds are all working in order and all that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Although I will say that it doesn't have to be that right, and I just want to no. make sure that we, I, not that we're not going to emphasize that, but I think uh, um, I think Star Trek Discovery has shown that you can have a you can have an engineer uh, who uh, who has nothing to do with the warp drive. Or, you know, not specifically the warp drive. Like, I, you know, Stamets has a different kind of warp, uh, different propulsion yeah. system that he's responsible for. But the neat thing about Discovery is that it's the only Star Trek show where we've never seen the engine room. We still have not seen the engine room after uh, after four seasons now, which is fascinating to me because I'm so used to seeing it on Star Trek, right? But we haven't seen the traditional warp core. Like, obviously, they have the, the, the spore drive, but there's, there's, they also have a regular warp core. We just haven't seen it yet. And mm-hmm. And no one's actually been named on that show as the chief engineer, right? Samus is, is uh, you know, a scientist primarily but also has an engineering background. And of course, Tilly's got her engineering and science backgrounds. And you know, Burnham does too. But like there's not an actual Scotty Geordie kind of character on that show, which I think is fascinating, except maybe Reno, right? Reno's uh, probably more of a, Engineer than anybody else, but we still haven't seen the warp core. And I'm not confident we're going to, because at this That's point, why, why would they, you know?
0: <laughs> well, I, I and I want to along your lines, I want to expand people's thinking about what the engineer can be. You don't have to have a starring chief engineer. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us do. But I think about all the engineers who are doing like mining operations and colony infrastructure and resource extraction and asteroid movement. And maybe there's someone who's a deflector system specialist or a tractor beam specialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different types of engineers engineers and specialties that I know um, because they said it, the people who are going to be playing Star Trek Perseverance, Streampunks, punks, um, they're going to be focusing their game on the Mars colony and they're not going to be in a ship. And so they're going to be coming up. I, I know they're developing some very interesting characters and some obscure type of engineers. Um, yeah. So there's building, a lot of flexibility.
4: Building the the terraforming equipment. That's on. Yeah. Our, I mean, those engineers are going to, you have terraforming engineers, you're going but
0: to have. Why not molecular engineers and quantum level engineers, yeah, right? There's absolutely. so many, so many uh, different medical engineers too, who's mm-hmm. building the medical equipment. So, oh
1: yeah, a, yeah, mm-hmm. true. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always thought, I always thought, you know, in my gigantic backlog of characters that I want to play someday on, <laughs> on, a, on a campaign that I'll never get to, uh, is, um, um, you know, wouldn't it be fun to play? a theoretical engineer, like a theoretical or chief engineer, who's a theoretical engineer who like has no interest in the nuts and bolts of managing the Mm -hmm. work or fixing the ship, but it's just like all about the, the big, Mm -hmm. big ideas, you know? And I think a little bit about the, the Kofuari that Scott Pearson made up for, um, for the Shackleton book where, where like it's this, it's this species of, uh, of, of, of little, 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 you know, um, Animal-like people, and they like they're they're super smart about the theoretical mm-hmm. science and the theoretical engineering, and they're like, oh, we could build this incredible, you know, fascinating machine, and we're just not going to because we don't want to. But isn't it so fun to just sit back and think about it? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wouldn't that be a fun chief engineer? Where like you're, you're you're pawning off all the grunt work to your chief to your to your second, <laughs> and, and you're like spouting off these big ideas on the bridge, and like the captain is like, no, well that's great, but I really need you to fix the work for so that we don't go blow <laughs> get blown up.
4: Well, the, a chief engineer should be a a, a little bit like that yes. in that mm-hmm. they're the ones that are kind of maintaining the different work teams that mm-hmm. are that actually have the specialists. Hey, you know they they may they might have their own specialty in theoretical engineering, you know, or or computer technology. Hey, they're a computer engineer, but they're the chief engineer. They need somebody that's a specialist in the warp core. So they have their warp core team, their impulse drive team. So that, that fix the fusion reactors. You know, you have your life support tech team, that kind of thing. And they, as long as they have the team management skills, so to speak, they might be a very effective chief engineer anyway even without being able to directly fix the warp core or the the goes the go nowhere does nothing conduits, the G, GNDN conduits. It,
0: it, well, it goes back to what we were talk, just talking last week, if all of you didn't tune in about scientists, is they run the engineering departments. So again, on away missions, or when a problem comes up, who's the best person to handle it? I think about in TNG, how Barclay was really the hollow programming engineer. So if something happened with the holodeck, um yeah, he was a little addicted to it. So probably which is why he leaned toward it. But but he was the person who did it. Or O'Brien, you know, transporters and Cardassian replicator specialist. You know, it was there, there's it's fun actually to have these specialties because it really can round out your character.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. There's characters in the series too. You've got Bruce Maddox, who is obviously a, an artificial intelligence engineer. Um, you've got Sung, same thing, and there's mm-hmm. You talk about other types types of engineers you can have, the ops officers usually ro- rolled into engineering. And in the first season of D- uh, of Next Gen, there really wasn't a first off- uh, chief engineer. You saw an engineer, but you saw several different engineers at the first season of, of TNG. So mm-hmm. uh, the ops officer kind of became the more of the, the catch-all engineer, which I think is a thing that uh, is a fascinating way to think about playing an engineer. From the,
0: and then from, I just want to add on from the operations manual, there's one other type of engineer that doesn't get played a lot, again, falling under the operations division, but I actually would love to play one, and that's a quartermaster. I know mm-hmm. I play it as an NPC, mm-hmm. but the quartermaster, think about everything they see on the ship and all the conversations they have and what kind of skills they need, like hosting alien uh, hosting alien uh, delegations or even adapting quarters to the needs of different alien species. That's a show in itself. So the quartermaster <laughs> is something I would hope people don't overlook too much.
1: Yeah, not yeah, to well, mention, like... like- not, not to mention, like when the, when the when the senior staff calls down and says, "Hey, we're going to go down to this planet. We need you to create some costumes for us mm-hmm. for X, Y, and Z sort of thing." And the quartermaster's like, "Again, like week after week, I'm getting these requests. Like, how? I mean, like, I'm especially thinking of like Enterprise and um, uh, the original series, right, where they didn't have replicators. Right, they had to yeah. like either just fashion it out of whole cloth, or like go to yeah. everybody's quarters and go into their closets and like, what do we have on hand that we can kind of like cobble together?" There's going to be somebody on board that's
4: a tailor that's wearing red and is in the engineering department. Like they, mm-hmm. that's all they do is is sew, and they have like a a Singer sewing machine, so to speak. It might be a
1: 23rd century one, but. <laughs> And then, and then to go meta just for a moment, and, and let me indulge my my theater background. <laughs> like, like those kind of ships are going to have an awesome theater program because they're going to have yeah. this wardrobe. They're going to have this wardrobe division that is just going to be stacked full of stuff. Oh, these are the costumes we wore on that away team mission to planet you know X Y Z, uh, and then we can just reuse them or whatever. But uh, yeah, there's just ways you can connect that to to to, oh, yeah. to subplots and focuses.
3: <laughs> and somebody finds the hockey pads and uses them as body armor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, they did that. The Ambo Jitsu, right? Was, uh, wasn't was that hot Yeah, armor?
3: yeah or, they did it. The, the the guards in um, Star Trek 2 II or 3 also are wearing... Oh, armor. security dudes, yeah. Yeah, the security guys, yeah. Just
0: new coat of paint, something different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, something I see underused, and I'm going to just say, and, and so no, no slight to my players who are watching this, but something I see underused with engineering characters, and so I would invite people who select engineering characters to kind of dive into it and see the power of it and that's that was no that was a pun intended is the use of power on a ship during a game Mm -hmm. there's some really interesting mechanics that are so overlooked that nathan dowdell had wrote written into the game about the use of power and it comes up in different things but the, the two things I don't see happen is taking away from other systems to boost other systems and also taking the risk of increased complications by spending power to go over the limit of certain things. And there's been times where I'm sitting there as a game master, like you're not actually limited. If you just do what engineers do on every Star Trek show, take away from comms, take away from life support, take away from transporters and boost your other stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a risk and we're going to have some EPS conduits burn out, but you can actually push through this. So so as engineering officers, try to learn the use of power. What do you all think about that? Yeah. I think it's yeah.
3: a great idea.
1: I, it just, it, it, it eats at a, at a pet peeve of mine that I've had for years now that I i don't, we've never really talked about it. That never came up, but I, I wish that there was a way that either we had or could like come up with some sort of way to visualize that physically, right? Like I know there's been some fans who've done a great job and I've seen some of their layouts and stuff. But like, how how could we set up a thing in such a way that you could see the different sections of the ship and the different power levels and then you could actually move power around, right? Almost like a a game kind of thing. And I I think that would help help some engineers so much that they could just just visualize it instead of just reading it it out.
3: Hmm. Go ahead, Uh, John. To be off Star Trek Adventures for just a second, uh, there was an older version of the game that had a power conduit, a power allocation system. It was the old... this version here this was the um the last new games version yeah um, okay. i think faceted too but that was the version that i originally started with and what we did is we created this thing and we used um little power gems like uh they're little flat beads that you put in a um aquarium mm-hmm. aquarium beads mm-hmm. and we moved those all around the board and it was a lot of fun and we tried to find i was hoping that that would we would see something like that in this version Um, And I think to Michael's point, the reason I think one of the reasons we don't see as many players using it is because it's harder to visualize it in this version of the system. I think it's a really good system. We used it in my last session and it worked out really well. Like I really do love the the way it's done. But I think players have a harder time visualizing it here because they don't have that that Mm -hmm. movement game. Um, There's a game called Artemis. It's a, a, a bridge simulator game for the computer that has a system that's like that where you can allocate power back and forth. And I think something like that uh, is a, a brilliant idea, and I would love to see something like that in a future. Uh,
0: Tony Pie, I may have to send you a bottle of whiskey if you can figure this <laughs> out. <laughs> no, that's not, oh, not, yeah. not, 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 not Tony Pie. John the win John the win. If, if John the win who designed our Discord bot, you may yeah. be able to figure something out. Either one, Tony, you've yeah. been some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tricky because, like, on the it, <clears throat> it's a fine balance point, right? Like, like, do you want to be a little bit more simulationist and have the ability to move those mm-hmm. things around? Or do you want to be more toward the theater of the mind, where that doesn't matter so much, and you're just making shit up and uh, and and getting into the narrative and 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 making it happen just because you're saying it? Make, you know, you transfer power right. from this, to this, so you don't have to actually visit, visualize the power moving. So I, I I can see both arguments, and I'm willing to bet that Nathan probably wanted to kind of like thread the middle and give everybody some options. We should probably pick his brain about that at some point on a future episode. But uh, um, yeah, it's just a tricky balancing act. Like, what do we want? Yeah. What, what do you want the game to be like? Do you want to be more? hands-on kind of moving stuff around or do you want to just kind of like you know go off the top of your dome and yeah make
3: it up? and sta seems to definitely be more focused on the it, more geared towards the theater of the mind design which i think is great and it really like i said in our last session when we used it it, it we used play theater of the mind and it was a it was a really fun session so i i can't say it's a bad way to go about it but i think it's one of the reasons why it's underutilized hmm.
4: I can I, 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 Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll go, well, okay. I, I was going to say that I think in our game, what we tend to do with the transferring of power around is just describe it in narration. We just, yeah. hey, it makes sense that we really need to put more power into the, the warp engines. Well, we're not really spending power from the stat, we're making our role, and well, we want to transfer it from shields. Okay, well, that's how we're just explaining it in game. Uh, It makes sense in context of the story in the Star Trek universe, but we we don't need to transfer anything on the sheet. That's kind of meaningless bookkeeping, so to speak. We're we're just playing into the tropes of the show by talking about it. I'm glad you went first there because
2: uh, I was going to roll off of that and say um, what's interesting is, you know, uh, sure, when you're in uh, the heat of battle, keeping track of power and and what you have left and regenerating it and all that type of stuff is very, very important. However, uh, if you're trying to uh, promote character interactions, mm-hmm. right? Let's say you've got a civilian scientist on board that needs more power to the sensor array, right? Mm-hmm. Now you've got that type of conversation that has to, uh, you know, take place. Hey, listen, I need power for this. And mm-hmm. you as the engineer might know that there somebody else needs power for what they're doing on the other end of the ship um, at that same time. Uh, so you have to find a way to manage all of that. Um, and and make sure everybody has the appropriate amount of power allocated to whatever it is that they're working on. Mm -hmm. And I think that can really lead to some cool
0: interactions um, between Mm -hmm. characters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love breaking stuff. So you all know, like, I I love throwing complications down, extended tasks, gated challenges, linear challenges, that if something happens and you take a hit or something explodes... These are complicated ships, complicated ships. So normally I'll spend six threat to create three overlapping complications or to create a three-step linear challenge. Or sometimes you give me a lot of threat, I'll take 12. I'll create six different problems going on at any given time that your computer screens go out. So you can't even press the buttons. You're gonna have to get under there and dig, you know. So so engineers um are great characters, as long as the game master puts them to work, make them work so that every time they're in a new situation, pulled into a gravi- gravimetric anomaly, skimming an atmosphere on an away team and a phaser breaks, like keep them busy.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
0: I mean, all you got to do is watch the shows
1: and see just how busy Jordy and O'Brien and Scotty were episode after episode, week in and week out. There was always something breaking Something going wrong. Something that had to be fixed. Yeah. Some last-minute desperate gamble had to be done. And uh, I tell you, the, like the stress level in that particular role must be so high. Like but, and, you know, <laughs> this, uh, this will actually harken to that conversation we were having last week, uh, inspired by Sam Delev about how to get your character involving other characters, like engineer. If you're if you're like a typical Starfleet engineer. You're probably going to be visiting the counselor more often than not just to work out that I mean, it's not PTSD, but like there's so much stress in this particular role. You're going to probably want to have someone to talk to on a regular basis about just this, how to vent some of that out. You know, the everything, every this, a starship is so complex
4: and all of its systems are so interlinked that when one thing goes wrong, that one thing can lead to six different things going wrong. Mm-hmm. And each one of those can possibly lead to somebody's death. Mm-hmm. very quickly space is a harsh unforgiving environment and think about hey the structural integrity field or the inertial dampeners go down in one section on one deck by 10% and suddenly when the ship leaves orbit one crew member is turned to red paste that's <laughs> somebody dead because you made you 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 messed up just a little bit in mm-hmm. one tiny part of the ship
0: mm-hmm.
4: so i mean an, an engineer is going to be busy all the time and yes Granted, stressed out. We see Bolana all the time on Voyager, just
0: out of her mind, stressed out. She'd be stressed out if she was a pastry chef. She's half Klingon.
4: Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, but I mean, she's this is Voyager. They're away from any Federation starbase. They're having to rely on on replicated parts and scrounging things. And she's trying to keep everybody alive on that ship.
0: Yeah.
4: And yeah, I I, I buy her being stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that.
2: Um, I do think that the role changes quite a bit if you go onto a space station, if you're playing mm-hmm. a station based game, I think you become a lot more of an administrator at that point, um, especially if you are the chief engineer, right, because mm-hmm. you're going to have teams on all ends of that, um, you know, that star base, and you know, you might not see them every day, you know, it's literally just you are managing teams and making sure they're going and working on what they're supposed to be working on. And I think that's a very interesting um, look at the position, um, you know, if you are,
4: uh, you know, on of starbase. Yeah, the smaller the ship, the more hands on your chief engineer is going to have to be. And the larger the ship, the larger the station, yeah, the more managerial they're going to have to be.
3: Mm-hmm. i want to yeah, add I think... oh, go ahead. oh go ahead i was just saying it's it's important to when you're creating your character i think you're, you're coming up with these ideas um you don't have to avoid stereotypes but i think it's very easy to fall into a stereotypical type of character in engineering where you're uh the guy who duct takes everything back together but it just works just barely all the time um or the the engineer that it's the miracle worker kind of thing there are so many uh classic tropes for engineers um that it's not it's not wrong to 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 lean into those um but you can also kind of look at that and then tweak it just a little bit to make your character slightly more interesting um in any of those situations like you could have the the starbase engineer who is absolutely in love with their sta- their station and you know like o'brien kind of was he, he's he's the duct tape guy on ds9 so it's definitely doable um i think it's interesting to be able to to look at the those tropes and tweak them a little bit just to make your character slightly more interesting without falling into that the the, t- the typical things we normally see, mm.
0: yeah. Besides power being, you know, something that I I I like to see people play with a little bit more because it comes up so often on the show. It's also jury rigging, and I know a long time ago we had a conversation about that, Jim. About one of your favorite episodes was when somehow Scotty used the phaser to get the to get the the shuttle going again, and right. and I know I was inspired to write. Um, in the Utopia Planitia book, um, Chapter Five and Optional Rules, a whole section about jury rigging. Because I think one of the cool things, even though, you know, Jeff talked about this trope of miracle workers, is it does amaze me when someone takes the transporter and turns it into a makeshift warp drive that'll only last six seconds enough to jump them out of the sun. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love stuff like that. So Mm-hmm. As an engineer, if you're that kind of person, sometimes you have to break away from reality a little yes. bit because mm-hmm. it's a science fiction shows. So, you know, when 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 all of a sudden the game master says warp engines are down, life support only has an hour left, and you have no weapons. It's your time to sit back, think about your ship and be like, well, can I use the deflector as an energy weapon or or can I release the Bassard collector to hide us behind a field of some? You, know, you got to really get stupid, create, launch the escape pods and use them as makeshift torpedoes. I don't know. But the point of the matter is, is. That's where you have to know your ship and just have fun messing with it, which is why I did that jury-rigging chapter in
3: Utopia Planitia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the jury-rigging thing is an essential part of Star Trek too. I think it. I, mean, I didn't want to make it sound like I didn't, like I don't like that portion of it. I absolutely love it. Um, I, I think most of the times my characters have solved engineering issues in their games. It's been through the radical use of probes to daisy chain, you know, 10 mile or t- 10, 10 million kilometer things through multiple dimensions. Um, like it's it's absolutely an essential portion of the game for storytelling it's like it's an amazing thing to do yeah. um yeah. i, I
0: have did. she jerry-rigged a yeah. life support system you know for she kept someone's brain alive in a tube or something
3: yeah <laughs> yeah my players uh hooked their captain up to his chair he's a he had a cybernetic arm and they were, they hooked him to his chair to keep him alive at one point and that I was love fun it.
0: So, love it. Love yeah. It.
1: yeah i think uh i i just i, I think especially uh um I think next generation really took a quantum leap toward like how to do weird stuff with the ship that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of like using the, using the main deflector dish to, to mm-hmm. emit stuff and to, or to absorb stuff to get the busted ram scoops to, to, to emit fog or something like some sort of energy or something. It was like, like, Oh, I never thought of doing something like that. And, uh, it, it makes me think of uh, way back in the early days of the game. Uh, I was, I was mostly just a writer, but also doing some editing and, uh, like, uh, one of the writers had come up with an adventure and there was a question in there. And at the time we had a uh, uh, Rick Sternbach on kind of a retainer for a little while. And I sent him a couple, I sent him an email with some questions and he, you know, he was very polite and answered every question one after another. And then he said, you know, remind your writers to think futuristic, right? Like think bigger and think futuristic because this is 300 years or 200 years or however many years beyond where we are now. And so like take technology that we have and then just, Imagine something more. Of course, that's what you should be doing as a science fiction writers is imagining what's what's possible next. But that was just a good reminder from from the man, right? Like who who knows his knows his stuff, and I was just like, oh yeah, think really outside, like way outside the box, like really get not weird, but just like really, really, really different, and like you know, get get creative about how these things work and work together.
4: Yeah, I think one of the best things you can do as playing a chief engineer character is go in look at a starship systems you can do it in the, from the core book or whatever book that you have just go okay how does an impulse drive work well it's a fusion reactor well we kind of know what fusion reactors are and then it expels exhaust and it pushes the ship forward okay so it's basically a high-tech rocket i get it okay so since i know how that works how can my engineer modify it when we need to do something else it's like the Bassard Ram scoops, the, the fog that you you mentioned, they just reversed the tanks, expelled the gas that had been collected from the Bassard Ram scoops and ionized it through the RAM scoops magnetic field. So it you know it ionized and glowed. I mean, it, as long as you know how the bassards work right. or like the basic concept behind them, you can kind of go, hey, I can come up with an engineering uh solution for all of this. This is easy. Um and you don't really need to know Star Trek. You might just have a, a slight basis in uh, real life science, engineering, and technology.
0: I think the if, Game Master's Guide, which you wrote, the sections on Aaron have the simplistic explanations yeah. of most of the major technologies. If I'm correct, that was a that was I know well received by people. Jeff, yeah, for sure. And if you oh. want to go,
1: if you want to go into the weeds a little bit more, like I, I tell you, the. Uh, the landmark publication for me and my Star Trek role playing back in the day was like '92 when mm-hmm. the when the Next Generation Technical Manual came out. Mm-hmm. Rick Sternbach, Michael Kudo collaborated on that thing. It's a it's a soft cover, uh, purple. Yeah, there it is. Mine's too far it. away to reach. So uh, yep, yep, yep um like, like you don't have to memorize them by any stretch of the imagination but i know my group every one of us got that purple book and read the hell out of it and memorized everything and like we knew everything there was to know about the warp drive and the impulse drives and the sensor mm-hmm. pallets and all that stuff and i guarantee all that stuff found its way into the game somehow uh because it was just that book is so rich and the footnotes are fantastic so like if you're a star yeah. trek fan get that book because it's still in print like it's been 30 Thirty-one yeah. years now, that thing is still in print. So, like, definitely, you'll find a copy, whether it's in a used bookstore or brand new. I encourage you to buy it. New, of course, because we want to support our, uh, our our hero writers. But uh, that that is a goldmine of information. And as a game master, boy, it's so great, especially when you have a an engineer player who is into it. Right, it's mm-hmm. so great to be able to grab that book and like, I need some random system to break down so they they can get involved here. So I can just flip open that book to some random page. Boom, hit the finger, pick pick something like, oh, yeah, OK, the uh, the you know, the tertiary communication system is glitching and it's having an impact on a cascade impact on these other things. And uh, now you get to go fix it.
4: Yep. No, it's a fantastic That's, book. I can't recommend it more highly. You know, it, it's, yep. I bought it when it first came out. Like the, the first week that it came out, I think you did too, Jim, right? Like that you saw it come into your bookstore that you
1: were working I was, in. Yeah, I was I was actually working at a Walden Books uh, at the time, way back in the day when Walden Books was still in malls. Well, at first, Walden Books was still in existence, and there was actually bookstores in the mall. Uh, I was, uh, I think at the time, right, because we had, we didn't have the internet, mm-hmm. and the only kind of news resource we had was Starlog magazine, Starlog and, and uh, Fan, was it Phantasmagoria, the, the horror one? Yeah. Uh, um i I saw things in omni now Mini omni yeah but we had literally like me and my buddies that were working at the store playing our homebrew star trek game we had literally no idea that that book was coming like we had seen no advertisements or anything about it and uh, i was just opening up the opening up the boxes from simon and schuster that day and this Mm -hmm. thing was staring at me from the box i'm like like what the what is this (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. the, the 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 Uh, Amazing thing! uh, We waste—I mean, not wasted. We spent so much time in the back room reading that thing. It was like unreal. So, like, we we were—we had—we I think we got twelve copies, and uh, I guarantee we didn't put all twelve out on the floor because there was no way we were going to let those go once once we had them. I remember reading cover to cover like four times right after
0: buying it, like just Yeah. 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 How long did they even last on the shelf? Is my wonder.
3: I mean, in the they, early '90s, I don't think they lasted very long. I wouldn't imagine. Didn't
1: last because, like, I mean, back then, Next Gen was was the the show to be watching, and uh,
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, it was popular. Like the, I know the novel, the, all the different Next Gen novels were really popular. Oh. Those those were hard to keep in stock. And the uh, nitpickers' guides. <laughs> the nitpicker, Oh yeah, the nitpickers' guides were classic uh, unofficial uh, publications. Those were those are great too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a reason it's still in print after 30 odd years. I mean, that's kind of unreal, but. Uh, it's a it's a good book, and there's so much great, you know, nerdy technological
0: stuff in it. Well, really, yeah. and I, I would okay, Jeff.
3: Oh no, I was I was going to add the same thing. That's actually what I was going to say earlier. Was that book is the book that got me super into the idea of um, the engineering classes. And actually, there's a website. Uh, it's a, I think it's a role playing community, but it's uh, Star Trek all uh, a Call to Duty. And they actually have a lot of the information from that for different ships, like the Nebula, the Akira, the ambassador, um, and a bunch of them. And I shamelessly steal a lot of the information and it's, it's right out of the book, but man, when I'm making my, um, my show Bibles for every, any show that I do, I have a whole tech manuals for every ship that I do. Like, uh, what, what shit, what probes are they have on board? What, and Mm -hmm. how many uh, shuttlecraft they have? Like I go through all of it. I absolutely, that book was a big deal for me. And, I run a bookstore. I own a bookstore, right. and uh, we have a copy of that on the shelf right now that came in about two weeks ago that i'm I'm waiting to see if somebody picks it up.
1: so I have to I have to mention just another sidebar, another another parking lot item for our future shows. and like like the the show's never going to end, Michael, because we we always <laughs> find ways to spawn new episodes after each episode we, we 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 should consider an episode sometime. and this is getting seriously down into game master geekery about. Building a, a building a show bible for your campaign, uh, there are there are pros and cons to that. It is fraught with challenges, especially mm-hmm. in, the, in the world when you become adults and you suddenly have no time to play. And like, how do you how do you manage to schedule a campaign around everything? But but building a show bible is such a fascinating topic. I would love to I would love to riff on that sometime with Writing a bunch of with a bunch of different <laughs> game
3: masters. It's- It's one of the ones that I think I had suggested uh, earlier, but I got to find my list again because I have a bunch of suggested episodes we can do. We're
0: we're going to get to them all. I I want to go, again, focus on those text specs because now that you're all speaking, it's kind of inspiring me because as an engineer playing an engineer, Um, I know I love looking at the schematics. Every time I look at the schematic of even the space station, I take my time and I read every single where the line's pointing and Mm -hmm. I get mad if I skip it. So I usually try to use something so (laughs) I do it in order. So I don't miss anything, but, but if you really are into those schematics, the chief engineer would be a very rewarding Mm -hmm. role to play. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I,
2: I, I think that there's a couple of different ways that you could take it too, Michael, if you're really into schematics too, right? You could be on the ship. Obviously that's where we've been focusing a lot here, but uh, you know, if you want to try some outside the box kind of engineering ideas, uh, what if your campaign takes place on a space dock, right? Or um, what if you are on a Nebula class ship that has that mobile space dock pod that Aaron put into uh, Utopia Planitia, right? That, that could, now you're now you could be like a structural engineer mm-hmm. or a designer you know things like that i think that could be really fascinating um and that is just a, a short hop skip and a jump away from uh you know starfleet corps of Corps of engineers right mm-hmm. um you know you could do just double down on that as your whole entire campaign
1: mm-hmm. yep you, you need you need some inspiration from that Go check out the Starfleet Corps of Engineers novella series. There's like 60-something novellas in that series that they, that they published over a long stretch of time. All about the SCE, all about engineers, all about
0: stuff going on. So there, there is a wealth of material in there that you can tap into as inspiration. That That's yeah. what actually inspired the chapter in the Utopia Planitia for me on salvage and retrieval. There's a whole different kind of salvage and tr- retrieval operations where you could just be picking stuff apart and going into strange alien environments trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah.
3: The same thing goes to uh, the. So in the US right now, there's a, uh, out in the desert, there's a place where all the airplanes are kept that are, they're, yeah. falling the, Boneyard. Apart. the Boneyard. And that's the kind of thing like uh, I actually had a character who, not me, my, one of my players had a character who, that was his job. He was the guy who managed the Boneyard. He kept certain ships operational and he, to, you know, scrap parts out. And that was his whole thing. He, he was a logistics officer. And uh, I think that was probably the most fun character he's ever played. And there was, a, there was just a wealth of things we could do with it. We didn't, we didn't run a campaign that way, but it was four or five episodes where that was the main focus of the game. Um, and it was a ton of fun.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, you, you brought up the boneyard. I was going to say, wouldn't it be interesting to have a chief engineer that had a background during the Dominion War, bringing up, bringing up the Frankenstein fleet? That mm. they were there patching different systems from different eras that were built by completely different species in the Federation, making them work together. Because, you know, starships back during like the TOS era might have been built fairly differently depending on the space dock. And oh. hey, now we're just patching them together as best we can to throw them at the
0: at the Dominion. Oh, you have us riffing that. Go forward to yeah. Picard. And who who was the jerk engineer who thought it was great to put Borg technology into Federation ships? I wanna I wanna go, I wanna meet that guy so I can punch him in the nose.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, that's going to backfire, sir or ma'am.
0: <laughs> I know someone someone said something. Someone yeah. said something to them and they go, well, oh, no, I got this all under control. <laughs>
4: or or the um Daystrom engineering the new multitronic computer system, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hey look i'm I'm a computer engineer. I invented duotronic computers, which is the next step in computer technology above what we have today in the 21st century and then he just makes this other quantum leap in computing technology, but it basically breaks a whole bunch of starships kills yep. a lot of people, and then supposedly the starfleet doesn't learn and put's a whole bunch of texas-class starships into service
3: (laughs) (laughs) when designing my current campaign star trek europa uh one of the things that i wanted to take into consideration was the engineering aspects of what the future of star trek was holding post dominion war and with a shortage of officers and things like that i decided that maddox has come up with a ship-sized ai that basically handles the majority of the ship so that's the premise of the ship europa is it's It's a data level AI, but it's the scale of the ship and it does everything. And that was, that's created a lot of interesting, um, Mm -hmm. one, you've got a character. The ship is now literally a character. It talks to you, Mm -hmm. it has its own motivations and things like that. And then you add on top of that, the characters interacting with it and and the engineers having to deal with now the ship is literally telling them they're doing it wrong, don't do that, you know, or, or anything Mm -hmm. along those lines. It made the engineer's job a lot more interesting or not necessarily interesting, but more difficult in a -hmm. lot of ways um and it's it's added a lot of opportunities to have other we talked earlier a little bit about having other character roles get involved um this ship literally is affecting this engineering marvel literally interacts with every single department on the ship mm-hmm. and so the engineer has to then interact with every single department on the ship because it's an ai you know it's it doesn't do everything that you want it to do how do you keep it from listening to everything you want to do how do you, you know, my players have gone back to writing things on paper in game because they don't want the ship to know everything that they know. So, it's- boy,
4: this uh, this sounds like this is this also needs to be a continuing conversation because Michael and I can <laughs> can speak at length
1: on this very specific subject of of ship based AI. Yeah,
3: yeah. our so-
0: ship became our ship became sentient too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Michael, we're never going to stop doing this show. We always find new episodes to talk about. Um, so this is this is a great conversation. I, I want to ask everybody one question. Uh, this is the same question I asked last week, and then we should probably start moving toward. Uh, the the slow wrap up here
0: because I know can we- I just add one thing before you ask <laughs> that question is wrap up sure. because I just want to expand people's minds if they choose an engineer to to maybe move away from ships and stations and maybe genetic engineering. Mm. Right. So understand that you could be a genetic engineer on a ship with a, a clear mission, an expert, maybe, maybe you're not even Starfleet, an advisor, but maybe with all this augment stuff that is always constantly plaguing. Um, the Star Trek series like Prodigy even now, genetic engineering could be a really interesting place to go to. Yeah, good call.
1: Uh, so my question for
0: everybody is the same question I asked last time. Imagine, if you
1: will, I am a, I'm a brand new player coming into Star Trek and Star Trek Adventures. I don't know really much of anything about engineering or computers or circuitry or any of that stuff. Uh, it's all like completely kind of new to me but I want to be the engineer or I've been suggestions to be the engineer or whatever. What's, what's in it for me? What's, what's the, what's the hook?
0: What's what, what what can I do to be successful?
3: There's so many things.
4: Yeah, there are, (laughs) there are, you can, you can start with any skill that you have in real life that re that revolves around using your hands in some way, shape or form. Oh, I'm not an engineer, but I know how to woodwork. Okay. Well maybe you can apply that to a character that's a structural engineer. Go for it. That's a place to start, and then branch out. Use that little bit of knowledge. Hey, I know how to work on my car. Well, guess what? You might have a, you might be able to do a background with a character that that uh, understands like shuttle mechanics, and and rebuilding engines like that, Uh, rocket engines, not not internal combustion engines, because that would be fairly rare even in the even in the twenty second century with Archer. That would be uh, Mm -hmm. now then, but. That's just some ideas. Like take little bits of things from your real life that you do with your hands and go with it. It can be even as strange as cooking, because honestly, that can be applied to. Hey, I'm a chemical engineer in in the game, and I'm I'm building new chemicals to help the engineering department to help fix the ship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Go with it.
0: Yeah, I'll just I'll wait people's appetites to something with something I wrote, a paragraph about why I picked that kind of character. I wrote, Starfleet isn't in the business of only doing safe and easy tasks. Starfleet is always pushing the envelope and testing new waters. Sometimes that envelope pushes back or those new waters contain reefs that the crew didn't expect. It's in these moments when the starship systems are failing or have failed, that a crew begins to look at new ways to solve a problem before their lives come to an end. Patching together systems in ways They were never designed to work as a tradition in Starfleet going back to its founding and one that players will inevitably take part in. Sometimes a system that barely works is better than none at all. Mm.
2: Tell me what you want to do with it. Like, what would you like to build? What would, what, like, we're telling a story. Uh, You've found these new um, uh, adversaries that have a new piece of technology um, that you would like to check out um, you know, that you would like to build on our ship. Tell me that, and then let's figure out how we can tell that as a story, um, over the course of multiple episodes. Right. Um, I think that's a, a really big deal is, is let your GM know what you think would be cool to do. And then we will try to find a way to make it work
3: in the story. Um, I guess from a, a resources standpoint, um, there are a lot of resources out there for Star Trek technology. If you wanted to get to, uh, hear yourself more up to speed and educated on what Star Trek's, uh, uh, technology and engineering kind of things are, um, there's a ton of, uh, various tech manuals. Um, I've got, I don't know, dozens of them from spanning from other RPGs on through like Mr. Scott's guide to the enterprise and, and stuff like that. Um, ship recognition manuals, all kinds of stuff. It's out there. It's easy to get. It's free. Um, and just having, again, a base knowledge, it's not necessary. You can roll with anything uh, in the story and, and the GM will help you make it reality. But if you want to get that feel, if you want to make it feel like Star Trek, um, having that, that base knowledge, and if you might, you might find like, as we'd said earlier, reading that Star Trek manual, it, you can, you can spend hours just flipping through these books and enjoying them for themselves and watching the show and whatnot i think i recommend um starting out again with the the idea of just kind of rolling with everything and then as you're playing the character more and more try to educate yourself on how the character should be in this setting like the the, the information's out there it's not hard to find
1: all right great stuff all right cool well let's uh, Michael. How, we, how about we get into the uh uh into the
0: gratitude for this week and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up Yep, sounds good. I'm going to start, you know, we're over a year in uh, 61 episodes, I think this will be our 61st episode, and I'm going to have to go with Studio Timbo, Jeff Harvey, Um, just so people know in case I I think we've only mentioned the history once because now he's starting to come into the front of the camera for continuing conversations. This all started actually with Jeff doing Start STA Engage two years ago, oh, going on three Mm -hmm. years ago. And he invited me to do some shows. Um, And then, you know, life happens and it was kind of sporadic. And then Jim, uh, you took up the ball and said, hey, yeah, you know, I'll host. And then we ended up getting it done weekly, but I could never have done it without Jeff and Studio Timbo, because he's the one who does that fantastic opening that you all see, if you watch the YouTube video, um, and the closing and all that, so uh, Jeff, I've been way too late in in thanking you for your labor of love in doing this, we literally could not have a good looking show without you, and we literally could not have it on all the podcasts, including where I found it on Spotify the other day, if it wasn't for you, because I just don't know how to do that kind of stuff, so everyone who listens to this show and likes it. Be glad that Jeff is the foundation that makes it happen.
3: I will say if you want to find the show in other places too, you can find it on all the major platforms. It's also on Pandora and uh, Amazon. And if you want to find it, it's out there. I have hmm. I have pushed as hard as I can to get this everywhere I can get it. So awesome. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, Aaron, your uh, your uh, gratitude.
4: I'm grateful for my parents to allow me to have explored Star Trek as much as I I, I did taking me to a couple of conventions when I was a kid buying me Star Trek novels like the the old the old TOS like numbered novels
0: mm-hmm. uh, uh,
4: that were done for the episodes. You know, just basically re- retellings of the episodes. I, I'm I'm so happy about that or or taking me to the bookstore that first week to, you know buy the star trek technical manual i still have the original um because i bought it with my first paycheck for my first job believe it or not it wow. was it came out that week historic, um, yeah. yeah and they they said hey we'll take you out there that's okay you know because it came in it came in that week so my parents have always been really supportive and i'm grateful to have them be supportive of something that is not like you know uh Well, it's, this is a science fiction thing, and you wouldn't normally have a lot of parents that would be super supportive of being passionate about something like this, but they are.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, uh, gratitude for you?
3: Um, This might be a little taboo, but I actually want to, I have a lot of gratitude for the guys at Last Unicorn Games, because they're the ones that got me into Star Trek, the role playing game originally. The guys like Matt Colville, mostly Steve Long. Steve Long, um, the legendary designer, had... Uh, he did a, a book that was an engineering book it was called space dock for the original last new Quarter games that was an in-depth like piecemeal how to build ships and i spent months playing around with that system building ships of various kinds and i think that really inspired me not only to do engineering types things in game but just for the star trek uh atmosphere altogether it got me really into the the technology of star trek and uh, mm-hmm. that that game was was to me a watershed role-playing game. And I I really have a lot of uh, it's what got me here to this game, um, which I think is uh, is the next evolution of of what I really enjoyed from that game. So uh, that's that's who I got to have gratitude for. Super cool. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Al, how about yourself? I'm going to go very specific. I'm going to thank B.C. Holmes for uh, keeping that character generator updated because Mm. I've been on it a lot the last few weeks um, and it's just so amazing and so easy to use and so
0: intuitive. Um, thank you for uh, keeping that going for us. And I know people can't, some people can't see if they're listening to this and not watching it, but Al wears this show, this shirt that looks like an Car's computer pad. And <laughs> I just got to say, Al, if you ever wear that around me, I'm touching you. I'm touching you, man.
3: <laughs> I want to know where to get one.
0: <laughs> I know, right? I think it's on the official uh,
1: fan club, or not the fan club. That goes way back. Uh, the official uh, website, I think, has those shirts maybe. Uh, Al, Al, where did you pick it up? I can't even remember. I, uh, some
2: rabbit hole on Facebook, I'm sure. Yeah, he's going to be like, Michael, stop touching my back. <laughs> like,
1: I'm going to just poke <laughs> it uh, Maybe he'll humor you and make the sounds like like the beach and the boots and stuff.
0: <laughs> please, please, please do
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, so my gratitude. Um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll do, of course, uh, gratitude to uh, uh, all the engineers, all the all the people who were involved in the shows, you know, creating Technobabble and plausible, making it sound plausible. Uh, uh, gratitude for the actors who made it sound good, uh, putting all those big words into their uh, those big unusual words into their mouths, and somehow making it sound believable and authentic. Uh, in the moment. Uh, So thanks to all them to to giving us a template, right? As as role players, they are to some degree who we emulate. And if if nothing else, at least they're in our DNA because we think about, oh, this is Jordy and this is O'Brien and this is how they sound. And so this is what a Star Trek engineer sounds like. And now we can do that by by using the words and stuff. So gratitude to them. Uh, I also want to give gratitude to our our very own Aaron uh, for creating amazing amazing content for the books low these many years uh it's always a treat to read your stuff you always deliver way early which is a you know a, a pro and a con because it's like i can't get to it right away but uh, <laughs> every time i read your stuff it's like oh there's so many great ideas packed into every single paragraph every single sentence is like a whole episode in and of itself and i just i love reading that stuff and i'm grateful <laughs> to have you on the team so thank you so much for being here and for your um you know your creativity and your ability to um uh like like take space frames and just like make really cool stuff out of them and make every single one of them unique and different and not like cookie cutter kind of things it's it's so cool to read that stuff so gratitude to you and uh finally of course the fans Uh, again gratitude to the fans of this game uh day in and day out i'm grateful that you are out there playing the game talking to each other supporting each other um, um you know even converting new players uh one one player at a time, you're running games for new people, and they one of them might go buy the book or might go might go run a game using a quick start like you know, you don't have to buy the book, but you have the quick start, but we are we're slowly building the fan base and we're slowly building the uh the visibility of the game and it's like that's that's how you gotta do it, and we're six years strong now and moving on so uh <clears throat> thank you to the fans like could not we will we would not be doing it without you, and uh, we can not do it without you at this point so uh thank you.
0: I don't know if you guys can hear that. There you go.
3: That's awesome.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Are you telling me if you come on every show we'll start getting sound effects?
3: I have the whole I could do it all. (laughs) Uh 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 Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
1: Evolution continuing that deserves evolution here it goes that deserves yeah, it. oh my the, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the L cars layout and all that stuff so yep.
3: <laughs> all right I can yeah I can do it all live too so oh no
0: go. well well, let's <laughs> this, this is where Jeff will slowly start cueing in the amazing music to close us yeah. out so everyone I D I C live long and prosper be safe be well thank you everybody see you next
1: time